keep going. Hey y'all, welcome to the Keep Going Podcast. My name is Steve and I am one of your hosts. So we've all experienced the existential dread around the 48 hours prior to a command performance. The bubble guts, the lack of ability to focus or relax, the feeling that we wish the race would not happen or there would be a cancellation so you don't have to go through the actual suffering you know is going to be served. In this episode, Michael and I explore this space in some detail. We get meta, but we also get highly practical. It's typical of how we've been rolling in these last few episodes. Because it may have been of interest, since I mentioned my recent episode of the Running on Purpose podcast, where I provide what I hope is a skillful roadmap to operating and training and racing with the contents of your body, mind, and soul, you can find links to the episode and the worksheet below. So please enjoy the episode we're calling Some Thoughts on Mental Training. Godspeed, my friends. Godspeed. That I even exist anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't even know what is real. Isn't that like the truth? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. And here we are um, sort of executing these conversations, uh, this conversation in the most unique way we ever have. Like we're both in our work caves. So will the vibe be different? Because our work caves are different, right? Like I have a hard time making contact online, mm -hmm. uh, eye contact. I'm not worried about that. I don't need you. I don't need your eyes. I just need your, I just need your ears. (laughs) Also, I seem to have a sore throat, but I'm not sick. Although my wife is sick lena she's sick which is why we're not meeting together because right. we're uh she's got the she's got the virus get the virus <laughs> but, but i tend to uh not get the virus for this time uh i've tested negative thrice and but my throat still is like kind of so i don't even know what's going on the world maybe the moon mm. and uh is getting a little bit too close to the face of the earth. One of the coolest things I did this past week was make a handmade, consecrated, magical wand with Max, my stepdaughter. And it was one of the coolest things that I have ever done in my life, like top five all time. Oh, that's kick-ass. Yeah, it was so cool. And it was kind of one of these things where, you know, you're in this mental space of this is pretend, but I'm enough magically inclined to also be like watching her do the set up her circle and then create a consecration space with important rocks and leaves and flowers and things to her. And then, you know, the book that we were using, we were using a, a guide to sort of introducing young people to magic because she keeps talking about magic and how magic is important. I'm like, hell, let's Harry Potter this shit. Let's or 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 take it somewhere else. Let's just get some guide to help us with it. So first step was to make a magical wand. And the consecration process 
when I tell you, Michael, it was magical. It was incredible because she, as a young person, she just does not do shit like half-ass. And she doesn't have this critical self-consciousness that goes on with most of the rest of us that's not ingrained in a seven-year-old yet. It's starting to come, but it's not there. It was just this really powerful and cool thing. Um, and then, like, I keep asking her, when are you bringing that out? Like, when are we, because we did that on Sunday, and she's like, no, this is for only special times. This is for only oh, special it, moments. Man, it's so cool. <laughs> I like that a lot. Did y'all do any whittling? I did most of the physical work around getting it right. But we took an oak tree, um, oak tree, a branch from our yard, and then um, she used it to hold, held it in her hand to see if she could sense any powers. We directed it to go the right direction. That yeah, the little cool. booklet we used was yeah, highly. Sure that thing had some. Had some woo, and then she, yep, so for sure. And take this: she <laughs> wanted a particular a particular crystal because she's all into crystals to be out on it. So we had to figure out a way to affix a crystal to a piece yeah. of wood. Would be and all we have is like, you know, hot glue gun. <laughs> oh man, you could have come over to my house. I've got some Renya Cold Day Cologne and some two to. Uh, some some really nice contact cement. We could have gotten that thing all crispy. Well, yes. we we did use we ended up using a wire and it worked even better. And then we wrapped Ooh. the wire with a really cool found um, velvet that she loved. And man, it was just yeah. If I took a photo yeah. and put it up for the world to see, it would impact its quality. Yeah, you should. Uh, I'm telling you, just the fact of doing it places you in an enchanted space. And you know, there's. In the worlds that I run in, because I'm in weird places, people are talking about the re-enchantment of the world. And I'm always like, fuck that. The world has always been enchanted, will always be enchanted, is never not going to be enchanted. And humans' presence on the planet is not essential for an enchantment, okay? Like, it's already magical shit, right? It's already going on. We just, our little limited, you know, nervous systems are trying to interact in some kind of way with all of that. But I do I think that it is bringing forward an element, especially in the new year, you know, and with that January energy we were talking about, there's just this, this is this, this really powerful opportunity to align. And then using the moons, as you said, one of the things is we have to keep the, the wand, we're gonna work on keeping the wand um, in a quiet place during certain lunar cycles, parts of the lunar cycle, and then bringing it back out at key times as it's in its process. It, it, it's just an intriguing and incredibly interesting process that I um, just came up with because I just wanted to bond with my girl, right? But then I'm like, whoa, where are my magic wands in my life? Yeah. <laughs> what, what am I using to effective to affect change and to direct energies in a way that's powerful and impactful? So it was it was oh, really cool. Shit, that's that's a good thing. I don't know. I, I looked up the word woo. I don't know if I had that correct. Is it, it's woo woo? It, I think is the original, and then most people now just call it I woo. Think I heard it in that. Uh, did you ever watch that TV series, uh, Man in the High Castle? Oh yeah. Yeah, I think at one point in time somebody came in and was like, "Oh, this has woo." Yeah, and I think that's what the phrase was, but I don't know what it is. It's spelled W O O dash W O O in its in its um in its uh derogatory Western sense of magically like naively magically focused um magical realism, magical thinking, and all those negatives. So it's like it religion falls I in that category. 
good energy. I like what you're saying though, because are we recording? Yeah, we're on. I just Shit. went right yeah. from the right, cool. from the get go. So, so the thing is, if, if anybody who's listening is like, um, what are they talking about? Well, we're talking about the subject today, but I'm kind of interested in that because, in a weird way, and people are going to think I'm absolutely insane when I'm looking to kind of find that. I don't know if. All right, so you get this magic stick, and it, it serves as this. It serves as the, I don't know what it serves conduit. as. Conduit. I call it a conduit. It's an energy, it's an energy, energy conductor is what I think it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it puts I, you in a mindset. It sort of gets you in a mode, right? Yeah. What do we have as adults that puts us in the mode? All our, I have is seemingly like defense mechanisms. Or our fucking phone. You see what I'm saying? It's weird because we don't really have the, we have a lot of defense but we don't really have the offense. We also that, have we an that kind of yeah. We also that, have an incredible that. amount of space in which we are in what I call default mode, right? Where we're just sort of yeah. floating and not really present. So you do have the defensive space, right? Which I would call attention. You're like you're a, you're really both attentional in the fact that you're bringing you know one one focused mind on it but also using that word tension as well for that negative frizzing little energy that's going on that feels negative but you know much of what we call magical is in an awareness space like this sort of interconnectedness and ultimately that's how magic is in the western tradition is supposed to work through correspondence this thing conducts energy towards this thing or this thing is related to this thing these things when you put them together create a particular kind of vibe energy and you know what i think culinary artists understand this visual artists understand this but those of us who are in sort of the world of entrepreneurialness and practical application and all these other things we we lose it. But that's what I love about talking with you, man, is like you never lose your magical element because you're always elbow deep in like some creative project around the practical shoe that you're putting out. It's really cool. Oh, man, that just it, that's going to that that thought is just going to eat me for the next <laughs> week or so, because. I'm going to be searching for my Your own wand version. Of, yeah, my own wand. And I'm like, what is that? I guess you could call it inspiration. You could call it solace or something. Mm. I tend to, I go into these weird places and it, it, where I, where I start to imagine little tiny worlds. Uh, I don't know if you, Am I the only person that gets like super stressed and then starts to see like the color covers of the bed in these little hills? And I'm like, all right, that's like a big desert. And I'm going to imagine myself just trucking through that thing. And I'm going to uh, put together these little worlds in my mind. And I'm like, the smaller it gets, the, the better, like the, the more kind of granular I can get with like a weird visual is, is like, oh, well, I wonder what the ants are doing. What is their perspective right now? And like, what if I was an ant? <laughs> it's so weird, but I'm like, oh shit, it just makes me feel good. But that seems to be more like a defense mechanism than it is. Oh no, I don't think so. 
I you think don't? that's no. I think that's a mode of being. I think you're 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 just someone who's fluid. I think because you're a musical artist and you're a visual artist, even though your yeah. visual art is much more practical, right? In 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 a sense, um, you're attuned to what what Henri Corbin called the imaginal world. So it's this this space that's you know it's imaginal because it's not the childlike imagination we had when we were kids that was just make believe and make up. But it is operating in that same space that we are looking for some kind of deeper connection or some kind of way of navigating stresses and pressures. And, and so we, we, we fantasize in the best way. We create these fantasy spaces that allow you to try to get some grounding and some way to hold space. And so for you, it becomes more of a terrain and then you drop into the terrain and act out a variety of different sort of you know, I think the, these are, I just think we need to not villainize these things. We need to not call them uh, a, a defense mechanism. We need to say, I personally feel like what we need to say is, hey, we are super complex living yeah. systems that have used a lot of different ways over many, 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 many millennia to try to make sense of our world. And the world we're in right now really does not align with any of those old ways of doing things. It's a new world and it's scary and it's challenging. So practical. Yeah. The new world is so practical. It's, it's so binary and it, you know, it leads to so much optimization, but if you don't have an imagination, you can't really be fluid or find a flow state with with the binary stuff because you got to swim through that shit. And you it's can't connect like, with people. Right. It, it, it's oddly enough that, it, you know, that's basically we when we talked about the topic yesterday, I really think that that's almost on par with the topic, which is. Why don't you introduce it? It's it was basically um, kind of an excavation into um, seeing um, a mental state and kind of the only way I can set this up is a brief explanation of photography and how cameras typically work. But a camera you have. Uh, priorities where you have basically your shutter speed, you have your aperture, which kind of lets the light in, and then you have your ISO, which is kind of a weird other little button that does its other thing. But those three things work together to kind of um, basically how much light gets in and how fast the shutter is and how, how quick that image is processed. And you can switch your priority to either like aperture priority or you can switch to shutter speed priority and everything else kind of like moves in tandem with it which is where you get like you know i'm going to set my camera on automatic well what that means is like well you set it to like a priority of you know one of the above so you can be kind of fluid about how i'd rather prioritize the light versus prioritize the mechanics in the camera um and one of them kind of drives the other so we were talking about um the, the the idea that that running has kind of um, a, a dualistic nature of mental versus physical and you can you can prioritize or set your priority on the physical or you can set your priority on the mental and whatever happens is kind of a symptom or a product of how you set your priority 
priority. And too often, I think that most folks are, are likely gravitating towards setting their priority on the physical and not really in, and underneath the hood, the mental is kind of doing all this crazy stuff, but we're not really aware of it. One, one, um, scenario case in point would be kind of how we can get in our head before a race and how that can, uh, that stress or anxiety can affect a race day or how we start the race or kind of the performance in the race or what you often talk about in the marathon, which is how are we ready for the last 10 K not just physically, but mentally, have we prepared ourselves for what, what the race demands mentally? Uh, cause a lot of us can prepare physically and that's pretty, you know, you do that through the training and kind of, you know, motivate yourself and use readily available content to motivate yourself physically and you get there, but mentally it's not as cool these days to train the mental side necessarily. And I actually think it's probably less enforced on the mental side and that can be trained well before your marathon taper for in that example, but it can be trained well within the training cycle to set a priority on the mental and understand your mental fitness as opposed to just being myopic about the physical fitness. Yeah. I think this is racing is 90% mental people like to say, right? That's kind of a, I don't think they believe it. Yeah. And I do think ultimately that's really not a space we want to be in. I think what we know about the flow state and the way the flow state or optimal experience aligns with the studies that have been done around this topic is that we actually want the mind to be turned off. We kind of want to be on autopilot. We really want the body to take over and do what it needs to do. So the idea that the race is 90% mental in a lot of ways puts so much pressure on people to um, suddenly try to think their way through something that they've primarily in their training just been operating on autopilot in training from a physical perspective, right? So well, let me let me unpack this just a tiny bit because I think it can help illuminate a little bit of what you're discussing. The act of racing and the way it operates is that the nervous system is highly, highly engaged in this activity. No matter what happens, if you've set a command performance event or even a low-key race, but especially command performance events, your body basically recognizes it's going into war. There, there's no way around it. And so what it needs to do is it needs to sort of prep for that. So it starts to assess and align and figure out what's happening and what's going on. And what much of what we call, and that calibration for suffering, that pre-calibration for suffering that the mind is doing, um, you know, if, we, if it's left to just, you know, auto... <laughs> It's like in your in your photography analogy, um, you know you're you're gonna you could end up having some critical things show up um, that distort the image that you're trying to take the, the the photo you're trying to come away with because you didn't work with the other pieces of the puzzle. The light might come in differently. You're just thinking about how you frame the shot, but there's actually a, a question about where the light's coming from, how the light's coming in, and 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 unlike. Um, in our Instagram feed, we can't go in and use a filter to cover up whatever whatever right. mistakes we've had. So I do think that this is really important that people need to realize, yes, there's a mental component, an incredible mental component that's actually occurring when we're sort of in that experience of prepping for a race. 
but hopefully when the gun goes off, you're actually not in a mental space. You're, you, you've already, you're already in a, um, a state that allows the opportunity for flow to, to show up. Okay. Okay. So does that make sense? It makes or does sense. it jive? Actually, does it not jive with no, your no, experience? No, no, no. It, it's perfect. It actually hit me with a little bit of the the opposite end of the spectrum because here I am thinking about um, prioritizing what's going on. What are we thinking? Uh, what are we feeling? Like kind of like how a psychiatrist or a psychologist would kind of come in to the back door and say, "Well, how does that make you feel?" and if you're, you have a workout and you're constantly thinking, well, how am I feeling? What am I actually thinking? What am I feeling right now? And really working that as a muscle during training. So but what I didn't expect is that from a style perspective, when you get to the race, that command performance race, do you see it as an opportunity to focus on the mental and play that muscle, use that muscle, or do you use it as, all right, now we've kind of, we, we can kind of turn that off because we've, we've done the work. Do we focus on the mechanics of the body? Um, because there is a cocktail during training, either you focus on, it's, it's like your, your speed economy days, like getting in touch with kind of like the sheer mechanics of the musculoskeletal system and how, how everything's working um, and getting kind of a feel for pace instead of a feel for, you know, how you're feeling emotionally during a workout um, and really understanding power, understanding things like where, do, where do you see is, is it fluid to the athlete to be able to prioritize on that command performance the the power or is it best to prior or feel like um be in touch with what we're thinking and feeling on race day is that a bit too esoteric or is no that- no no i think you're i think you're hitting on a key thing here um and let's break down what's actually happening so we have training that happens in kind of a an unreal space um where we're we're kind of creating a uh it's not by not unreal, I mean it's not part of our day-to-day experience. So we're really kind of not in default mode network. We're probably in a much more attentional awareness. And let me break this down real quick just for general help to get people to be clear about it. I think there's three modes of sort of thought, three modes of, uh, of mental experience people are having. Um, there's attention, and this is very focused, dialed in, in flow, like sort of really, really focused on a thing. This is like when you're writing a paper, when you're making love, when you're playing an instrument, you know, you might, you start there, right? Um, Now you're a high level musician, so you might start from the other space, but most people, they're just working their tech. For runners, it's like making sure your feet feel good. You've warmed up, your, your things are going and working. Attention, paying attention, getting in that space. And then there's another mode that we, we frequently operate in. um, And, and it, oh, one other thing about the attention is it's an optimal zone that can become suboptimal or challenging if it's not mediated and, and, and faced appropriately. But then the other side of the spectrum, all the way on the other side, is attention. Attention is a more esoteric sort of fluid field-like space that we're in when we're kind of surveying the whole thing. 
So when you're in, after you've warmed up and you've got going with your basic, let's say you're doing a, you're playing your guitar and you're going through a couple of, a, a, maybe a song from another artist, or you're going through a series of notes back and forth, back and forth. Eventually you start to improvise and that improv improvisational space is an awareness space where you're just allowing to show up, whatever shows up. Humans are really good at this. We're magical at this. This is, this is a really good space, but we don't trust it very much because much of what our Western world focuses on primarily now is attention, okay? So you got attention and awareness. In between is default mode network. Uh, in between is autopilot. In between is I'm not really paying attention to anything. I'm just kind of operating. And most of us, if we check in at any point in time, we're going to find you're ourselves. You're not connected. You're not disconnected. It's, but you're just kind of like you're, you're being pulled towards something that's maybe not a part of both of those spectrums. The reason for that is because it's highly, highly effective for our ongoing survival. So default mode network has allowed us to keep, you know, thinking is expensive. It costs a lot compared to everything else going on in our bodies. And so we really just toggle into default mode network. And that's what our patterns and habits and accretions are for to try to keep us going down the same road. You drive the same way to church, you drive the same way to school, you drive the same way to the grocery store. All these things are just allowing so you can sit in default mode network for extended periods of time. Nothing wrong with it. It's actually incredibly highly utilitarian. Okay. But we're not really in default mode network when we're training. We're in pretty much in an attentional space where we've got our attention on. Steve said we're going to do, you know, six times a mile at a critical velocity pace. Okay, there's the route I need to be paying attention to. There's the pace I need to be attention paying attention to. The turns, the um, feeling state that Steve suggested that I should be paying attention to. And then the people I'm running with and the weather and the other things, right? So our attention is pretty good. And then we might slip into default mode network and run all that shit's dialed up and dialed in. But we spend a lot of time in a pretty heightened, an, an, an unusual state of mind. When you get to, so I, I said all that because I just want to highlight what happens to us in the 48 hours prior to an event. And it's yeah. usually for most people, unless the command performance is really, really, really existentially dreading. Like it's unless it's, a, you know, Olympic trials qualifier, a world championship. You know, you've you've built something up, up some, something up for multiple years. So multiple command performance cycles. Most of us for a command performance need about forty-eight hours. Um, and in that forty-eight hour period, we are sh toggling, hyper toggling in and out of attention and awareness, in and out of attention awareness. And it's highly destabilizing and very challenging. In fact, we find if we find ourselves in default mode network, we're kind of feeling a little bit like life is meaningless. Why do I do this? I don't really care because like the default mode network doesn't, you're going why to war. To do, like, you're going into I war. You're, do this to my body, all that, all those typical thoughts that might just eat away. Because you're going into battle and your nervous system knows it's going to go under serious stress. And so what you need to do is effectively toggle back and forth. But we never train this, Michael, mm -hmm. because it's such a unique state. It's so unique because it happens so infrequently. And my, my, my feeling is so few people are skilled in this area. And this is why we have choke, the idea of a choke. The idea that we have of, um, you know, I checked out. Uh, and, and some of that is a place where someone is conscious of it. But much of what's going on in the choke space um, that somebody else will call a choke, but the athlete themselves won't call it, is because they've reached nervous system shutdown, where their nervous system throws a breaker on them. Um, and this usually happens somewhere between 15 and 20 miles for a marathoner. It happens um, somewhere between... 
uh, a mile and a half and two miles for a 5K athlete, and you can just do the math on where it sits for every other event. Um, the half is a little bit weird because you never really go in that space. You're just kind of dancing a little bit more. But the other ones, they have got these core critical moments, like where you're all in. And these are very different mental states than an ultra. Because an ultra, like an Ironman, like a full Ironman, or a 100-mile or even a 50-mile race, I don't count a 50K. And I, a 50K is a marathon, okay? It's just a longer marathon with less right. stress or pressure. But 50 miles and beyond, you've got to have a completely, utterly different space. In fact, awareness becomes really, really important to be able to sit in an awareness space cognitively, consciously, and operate there without dropping into default mode network so you fall asleep. And, you know, you know this as an Ironman athlete. Well, that's, that's, yeah, yeah, I think that's one of the reasons that changed a lot with my triathlon game was that, to me, tri long, long course triathlon was very unique. It wasn't Olympic distance. It wasn't anything else. But the... the Triathlon is it, long distance has become so optimized and so competitive that it is actually becoming an attention sport um, <laughs> instead of an awareness sport it, because it's not as uh, light and airy as it was 10, 15 years ago. Like we, when you have the, you know, the Norwegians and, and all these folks coming in and taking lactate samples and doing all this stuff it's like okay we're switching the sport itself the distance itself is becoming more an attention focused distance and so it's one of the things that i i find to be more uh attuned with the awareness kind of fluid uh improvisational state of what it's like to be out on an endurance effort um it's just something that I've kind of come to terms with. And it's, it's actually shedding a lot of light on why long distance for me is becoming more of a hobby than it is a pursuit. Mm -hmm. um, Cause if I want to pursue something, then I might as well focus on something where my attention state can be more optimized to like my skill set. Correct. And that would be short distance triathlon or marathons or the half mm -hmm. marathon or a 10 K. Like those are the things that were probably, if I were to lay down, everything that I've got as a deck of cards and say, oh, you're more of a short distance kind of a guy, unless if you're, if you're trying to go for time, but you know, if I didn't love my sleep, then I'd be addicted to the hundred miles. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't, I don't really compromise on sleep. I don't really like messing with my circadian rhythm and stuff like that. Like I just never have, I never felt good about it. And that's just kind of, that's another card that I'm dealt. Like I, I don't want to stay up all night and run, but <laughs> it, but I'll do anything under, you know, about 18 hours. Right. You know, so to me, like the magic comes in between around 12 and 18 hours. Mm -hmm. Like that's, yeah. that's a cool place to be because I go to bed at night. But it is interesting that but the nervousness that exists that happens in the 48 hour window prior to that command performance in an Ironman. Mm -hmm. It's similar to what happens with an ultra where there's so many things that are going to happen and so many things that are going to go down and the event happens for such an extended period of time that you do a loose plan and then you just allow for whatever's happening out on the course to happen. So you're able to be in that awareness space more. Whereas people who are running shorter distances or doing the Ironman at short dist shorter distances, they're going to feel a much greater sense of dis-ease, of, of discomfort in that 48-hour window prior to the race. Why is that? Why is that happening? Because the nervous system is prepping for war. So remember, this is what the nervous system is basically has one job, to keep you alive. And mm -hmm. it does not understand these modern uh, 
voluntary suffering activities. Uh, it just assumes that what this is 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 a war where a stray bullet, um, a, uh, a double-edged sword, a, uh, a cannon shot could, um, something you're not even aware of where it's coming in can come and get you, or you're in hand-to-hand -hand combat, or you're sitting in a, you know, trench in World War II, or you're flying a airline, you're an airline pilot flying, um, for dropping bomb missions in World War II, or you're yeah. in the jungle in Vietnam. I mean, our bodies adapt, our nervous systems adapted to this war situation, at least on the male side. For females, it's a little bit different, um, but I, you know, I don't want to go through that. I'm, I'm just talking from my personal experience now, and I'm just saying, I think that what happens in the the competitive arena 48 hour prior to a race is this deeper old understanding that death is potentially available to us so of course we're going to target toggle between attention and awareness and attention and awareness and because existentially there's a lot of dread here the idea of sitting in the default mode network it's not resonant <laughs> because that would just mean, oh, it's day-to-day -day life. Like, you're sitting on the planes getting ready to go into battle. This is not everyday life. Like, it's getting real in that arena, right? And so I think what has ha what happens in the war space, especially with the those folks who are in the um, leadership positions, officers and such, they have done everything they can possibly do to train the athlete to have a quick response to stay in the attention space toggle attention when they need to be attention and awareness and what is awareness brotherly bonds the bond band of brothers hyper focused on the on the team and what the team is going to achieve and do and finding yeah the, you could also say that those are creative coping mechanisms and there's strategies to off load the nervous system fear because we're going to bring tribe and we're going to, this is why the tribal element is so strong. This is why so people get into camps really, really easily. In my opinion, they fall into camps because we're, 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 we're designed to take care of ours, to protect our children, to protect ourselves, you know, Maslow, the lowest level mile Maslow's hierarchy of needs. These things are on, these things are the space we're operating in 48 hours prior to a race. And, and we know it. And, and we've gone into this voluntarily by our own choice. And so because we're in this weirdly heightened and unusual state of mind, um, it, we can't expect that to happen in a way, we can't expect things to operate in a way that are normal. So one of the things I just think is really helpful for anybody thinking about pre-race experience is just say, hey, I'm gonna be in an unusual and altered state of consciousness. And that's okay, that's normal. I, I should be expecting that. That by itself just takes the nervous system's distress and 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 sort of fritzy, you know, wavy thing of being paying attention to every little thing that comes into my space is potentially a problem to just saying, it's okay. It's okay for me to be having this experience. So that's good. I think also one of the key things that can be really, really helpful, and you know, it's really interesting. I didn't we didn't plan this topic around this, but man, I spent, you know, hours yesterday and um again, hours over an extended window of time, preparing a podcast episode that I just released this morning. And it's called The Mission Protocol. It's on the Running On Purpose podcast. And what it is, it's basically using the brief, intention, um, execution, and debrief to 
to try to superpower people's experience of training and racing so that, and you know, because we're in that January energy, like I talked about and everybody wants to make resolutions and everything else. I'm like, fuck resolutions. Let's just do this, do this mission protocol, use it. So I do have a resource out there. It's an hour and 15 minutes long. It's highly focused, really, really detailed. I don't need to go into it here, but I basically use, try to articulate there that that experience that you're going through that 48 hours prior is mission. You're preparing for the mission. And the skill sets, there's no ability for you to bring extra skill sets to bear. No more fitness can be gained. You can't learn how to operate and utilize your sword more effectively. You can't get your VO2 up. You can't even really work on resilience and mental threshold work because you need to sort of defrag the nervous system a little bit to be ready to go. So you really need to practice a lot of that stuff in your training. And I provide a very concrete, specific, and um, practical process for going through that. So I would highly recommend if this is of interest to you, you don't want to, you want to be effective in this pre-race state, um, a state I call starting line experience, right? I focus primarily, I have focused for the last five to seven years primarily on what I called starting line experiences, mostly because I just wanted to jettison any responsibility I had for people's race experience. <laughs> Not truly, but you know, I just found that I kept getting disappointed and disappointing because people, athletes I thought would be in X shape and then they performed X plus 10 minutes or X five minutes and it was constantly happening and same things are happening. So it's just like, I just, what's going on is people are having a fucking losing their shit peeing down the side of their leg prior to the race and they're just jettisoning all, forgetting all the things that were important because that 48 hour nervous system tick of war just threw them for a loop and they weren't ready for it. So I was like, let's just prepare for getting you in that space. Um, but now I'm convinced that it's my, now my responsibility to also provide people for a race experience to also be ready for that. The nice thing is this mission protocol covers both bases. So if you're interested, check out the latest Running On Purpose podcast. There's also a Google Doc that walks you through the entire discussion. It's super practical. It's very, very, it's a, it's, um, it's what I'm hoping that podcast can become, which has got a good bit of really hard technical stuff. Um, so but, how do you know when you're, when, oh man, it's just, it's so it seems well. Two things are probably true. Forty-eight hours before the race, the work is done. Whatever yes. the work is, it's done. During the race, the work is done. But I mean, you just have to. You have to execute. You have to do the thing. So, in both of those scenarios, you're left with how um, how competent how competent I'm left with how competent I am in those two events how competent am i dealing with the mental oddly enough i think i'm naturally competent at the 48 hours prior yeah, i bet and, you are and i'm competent in if life was just all racing it'd be amazing but interesting thing with me training is some of the hardest stuff to stay grounded in and like even today i went to I didn't go to my swim class, um, swim session. I just, my kick is pretty terrible and I'm just tired of it. So I went and did an hour and a half just straight kicking in the pool and mentally the whole time I'm hashing out the, the, I'm thinking the, I'm, the only thing I'm thinking about in the pool is you're missing 4k of pure 
freestyle performance. You're missing it. You're missing it. You're missing it. And then, and then I'm on the other side of that thought there's, but you know, mentally you're scared of your kick. So work on your kick. This is a good thing. Hour and a half here at the pool. Don't, don't think twice about it. You're exactly where you need to be. You're exactly where you need to be. And then I, five seconds later, but I should be at the pool working on my freestyle. Yeah. I'm exactly where I am. And so, but I've put myself, I find that I put myself through huge amounts of agony during the training cycle so that because I'm always thinking about the payoff of the 48 hours of before the race and the race, because I, I just, that's where I live. Like I live in that zone, but what's interesting is sometimes I become disassociated with the quality of my training and I spend large amounts of time questioning it and understanding if I'm working any of the priorities, being it mental, being it physical, and it all seems to come out in the wash, but I, but it, it, but I do fully recognize that it's difficult to identify. It's one of those things, like, again, from a psychologist perspective, it's, that's why they're always coming back to, well, how does it make you feel? You know, well, that's a damn good question because I'm doing every single thing I can to not want to understand what I'm feeling right now. So thanks for asking me over and over (laughs) and over. I literally cannot identify those emotions. I'm simply bypassing the kind of understanding part and just acting. I'm acting, I'm acting, I'm doing. But that's the most effective way to handle it in the race. Is what? Is to be acting, 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 and not sensing your feeling state. Okay. But it's difficult during training. Correct. It's and this is what this is what that mission protocol provides is it says, hey, you got a brief, you got a plan, you got something you're going to try to work on. Today, you descript it away from Coach Hedgepath's plan, right? And you went on a Michael, Michael plan because you've sensed something. And maybe there's some fear, but there's but you sense something. And so you set an intention on working on your kick. And this is the key. The intention part of this is super important. You do not bring enough intentionality into your training sessions. So you're not really very, very clear on what it is you're trying to achieve in the session. If you did that, you'd be able to stay in it. Mm-hmm. Because you're really good at staying in the zone. Like mm-hmm. you're really good. You just don't know if you're in the right zone. So then you pop out. Am I doing it right? Am I pop out? Am I doing the right thing? Am I pop out? No, you need to set just set the intention and then spend an hour and a half honing that intention and just going through it and going through it. And typically when that happens, woo, your ability to toggle between attention and awareness becomes really, really good. And then you enter flow state in training. And then guess what? That provides you in that 48 hour window before the race. Oh, I've been here before. I know I can trust that to achieve that to happen. That starting line experience is all about self-trust. And because you did it in training, you now trust it. I think this is the piece that people are missing. They're saying that the training is 90%, the racing is 90% mental. It's not. The racing is 90% physical and 5 to 10% may, and it may be even less than that because all you, and you're also the reason why you're good at that 48 hour window is you're a good planner. You assess your fitness, you set an attention, you set a plan, you try to create a plan of how you're going to execute what you're going to do and then you let it go and let it say, hey, I'm just going to let it go. It's going to be what it's going to be. It's going to play out the way it's going to play out for two reasons. Number one, because you trust yourself. Number two, you're also really good at walking a tightrope. You're really good at falling and then getting back up and falling and getting back up. And you trust that you're able to do that. 
right? So you're good at those things. This is where I think most people are not. They're not very good at this. They're not good at that 48-hour window because they don't trust themselves at any fundamental level, and they're not good at improvising and being creative under duress. So your just skill sets happen to assess with that period. And I think with that, that window of 48 hours, I think many people have this really critical binary. They're either good at the 48 hours beforehand, but not so good at the training part, or they're good at the training part, but they're not good at the 48 hours prior. Yeah. And my yeah. argument is that this, this mission protocol provides you an opportunity to get better at both at the same time. So someone, you don't have to lean just on your own um, strength and weakness, which will only get more and more, right? The more you're poor at the 48-hour window of race, the worse you're going to continue to get at it. The worse you are at doing that in the training cycle, the worse you're going to get at it. Because we get feedback loops, negative feedback loops, we tend to stay in them over and over again. Um, so This has a lot to do with negative feedback loops. Yes, that's what the whole protocol is for, is yeah, tightening, symptom, like tightening you, feedback once loops. Once it gets out of control, it's just it's hard to rein in. So yeah, yeah. And all. you spent an, you spent ninety minutes in the water, focused on what, that you weren't doing something that you needed to be doing, but you know at the core gut level it's exactly what you needed to do. So all you missed was this critical self trust piece of saying I'm going to intend to do this because I need this, and then do the workout. And every time you fall off and you start thinking should I be doing this? Yes, today this is what I've decided to do. Next week I'll go back and do Coach Hetpeth's session. I'll get back in there. I'll get back in there and I'll suffer. And maybe there's some things I will have learned from this, pat, from doing my kicking that's going to be useful there. And then maybe I realize no, I just need to keep kicking and kicking and kicking more. Like one of the things we talked about yeah. recently is how important it is for distance runners to spend extended windows of time running easy. Like there's right. a reason why we need to run easy for extended windows of time because we need to get really good at running easy because it's the hugest physiological payoff that there is. Just like getting good with your kick, there's so much energy saved by having a good kick that you don't have to think about. Same thing with easy running. If you get really, really good at running three hours or you get really good at doing it over and over and over again, there's zero distress about covering your running your race day because you're like three hours, I do three hours all the time, not a problem. Mm -hmm. But for many marathoners, they're in a situation where they don't feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. I shit. Yeah, man. It's, it's so crazy. Uh, yeah, I can't keep, I don't even know where to, where to take it from there. I mean, that's basically the, the biggest, the mental fitness is, is the thing that I didn't even realize I've been working on, I think. And I, and I'm just realizing that's all I'm working on. And like, everyone wants the mental fitness to show up in the 48 hours before a race and in the window of time that the race happens. And if you don't have a protocol and plan for doing the mental training within the context of your actual training system, Mm -hmm. and your coach isn't providing that, or you're not providing it for yourself as a self-coached athlete, you need to check yourself. Because you're going to ask for that resilience and that toughness and that mental capacity, and it's not going to be there. Unless it just shows up by default. But again, as I said, the default mode, highly effective at allowing us to conserve energy and operate effectively. But as soon as we get into dis the kind of heightened states of awareness that are around racing, whoo, good luck. You're, you're, That's you're, why people are often 
people will say take a rubber band and put it on your wrist and mm. smack that thing every once in a while that's yep. why that's, that's why you can build a, a magic wand to remind you that you can wake up mm-hmm. it's why you can use your imagination to wake up like that to me i don't think that we put into the 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 cultural zeitgeist as much of those rubber bands and magic wands as we probably could we could probably afford quite a few more of that um aware thinking in terms of the creative aspect of it and kind of reminding ourselves because i'm like i'm definitely a person that i leave almost every conversation i have wondering oh what'd you say what'd you not say and, you know i that's that's just the card i was dealt you know mentally i'm not like you know, I'm I'm not one of these these people that can just brush things off. So I have to practice brushing it off. But that's why I always used to say, "What you practice, you become." Because I knew that that you know you you can't just become a person who's fluid in training and able to focus on the mental. Sometimes you have to force it, and you have to you have to. That's you, you have to train it and you have to systematically train it and you have to keep coming back to it because if you keep practicing, if I keep practicing it, then eventually I will put together, in this case, a string of sessions that were all about, in, in my case, enjoy the training, find ways to enjoy the training. So even though I'm not enjoying the training, I can... I can put together a session where that's the intention. Mm-hmm. I may fail at it, but if you put together 45 of those sessions that the intention is to enjoy it, as opposed to being myopic about like kind of the, um, the result, then eventually you kind of become by osmosis more fluid in becoming that person who's joyous in training. Um, it's, it's a weird transaction. You might not become naturally, you're not just going to wake up one day and be naturally gifted at being joyous and training necessarily, you, you know, but you get there, you, the cocktail is a larger amount of joy than it ever has been. And, and for me, that's been, it's been huge because in my endurance career, it shifted between pure joy into pure results into lost the lost a bit of the joy now let's rediscover the joy and kind of understand that these war simulations these command performances that we put so much weight and heaviness on actually you don't take away from those if you're working both sides because i mean i mean at that point we spend six months training for 72 hours you know, so what are you going to do with your six months? You know, what are you going to do with your year or your 10 years for 12 command performances over 10 years? You know, like, what are we going to do with that? I mean, it's just at some point we need to wake up and smell the roses that there is a big picture in this whole thing and there's different muscles to be worked. That's why I'm kind of obsessed with these priorities of being able to toggle between them. Yeah. And, Let's let's go back to the important thing that we're really trying to achieve um, with our training in that forty-eight hour window of of war zone, right? That we're talking about. 
the highest value emotional space that we can occupy, at least from my understanding, is trust. You have to, if you're going to be calm, cool, and collected in the 48-hour window prior to your event, you need to trust that you're ready to go. There's a self-trust here. Mm -hmm. Trust is not given. It is not grace. Trust is not grace. That that would operate under a faith principle, okay? Mm-hmm. Trust is grounded. Trust has results. Trust has a an extended period of earned currency, that currency of trust. It's earned. And if we're asking for people to be prepared in that window of time to handle the stressors that are going to go on there, and we're telling them that all that has to be already be accomplished when they do it because they're going to be leaning in on it, then they're going to feel like they're a day late and a dollar short and not ready to go. Unless they're like you, who happen to have a facility at that. But this trust is the thing that you're doing to create joy. The joy you are seeking in your intention in 2023-2024 in your training is that you can enjoy the process. And from an intellectual perspective, a rational perspective, you are all the way the fuck in on that. I know. Because listen to our last 10 episodes of the Keep Going Podcast. And you are... A whole different Michael. Like, it's a whole different vibe. But you have yet... And this is no knock on you, Michael. This is just the way we operate. This is just what happens. We get into these places where we understand a thing intellectually. We even feel it in some sense. But we don't trust it. Why don't we trust it? Because we haven't earned the trust. How do you earn the trust? You bring joy intentionally to every fucking session. Yes, it may not end up in joy, but it begins in joy. If that's your main modus operandi, intend it. Build your deep your brief, your work that you're planning on doing for that session. You should have set, you could have set, let me just give you an example. This morning, I'm not gonna go do that workout. I need to do kicks. Okay, the brief is very simple. I need to kick. I need to kick for an hour and a half. But when I set my intention, you're bringing your own personal vibe, your own personal style like we talk about a lot. You're bringing Michael into it. So for in order for Michael to be in a pool for an hour and a half and not go fucking jack fucking crazy, <laughs> pinging back and forth, I need to have an intention. Okay, my intention is, my brief is, I'm going to get better at kicking because I spent an hour and a half doing it. True or not true? I don't know, but the only way I know it is by doing it because it's certainly not going to happen by just pretending it's going to happen, right? And then... I also want to bring joy because that's my main thing I'm working on. So today I'm just going to work on kicking and joy, kicking and joy. I guarantee you as you execute that session and you toggle back and forth, your toggling will have much more meaning, much more resonance because you've already laid out what you're trying to accomplish in a way that you're invested in it. It's yours. Mm -hmm. Coach Hedgepeth didn't come up with this. Coach Sisson didn't come up with this. You came up with it, but you didn't own the experience. You didn't say, I'm going to brief it. I'm going to intend it. Then I execute. And then here's the kicker band. I'm telling you, this is what we're doing right now. Then you debrief it. And that debrief, that limited window of time said, how did I do? 
And what you said is, what I did was I fucking went back and forth and back and forth wondering whether or not I was successful or not successful. Okay, so that the reason why that happened is because you didn't intend for your joy. So bring back to your intention log the thing that you're going to bring to the next session is I'm going to keep working on my kicks and I'm going to keep working on my, my joy because these are things I truly value. And guess what happened? Because you played those through. Dude, 90 minutes of kicking is no fucking joke, dude. Like anybody who's done that knows, of course you're going to ping back and forth all over everywhere because there's nothing else to do but sit in a pool and look at the fucking bottom of the pool. You're not even looking at the bottom of the pool. When there's this weird moment where you realize that you're actually going in reverse on your breaststroke kick, that one that looks kind of like a frog, and I'm like, I'm literally going backwards, which means no power. No, and I'm like, wait, I'm thinking to myself, well, no wonder I suck at the breaststroke because like my kick is propelling me in the opposite direction. (laughs) The physics don't work, and then the joy just goes. But if you, if you, but think about this. I can guarantee you, I know you well enough. Michael, that if you had intended for joy prior to that session, I would have laughed it off, not laughed it off. You would have laughed and then tried to figure out what was going on. And because you like to play with problems and you like to deal with problems, now you're being more idiosyncratically Michael. And then you come out of this thing with what? More trust, more trust in yourself and your ability to laugh at yourself, more trust in your kick, more trust in your ability to see clearly what's going on and what's happening. And then you can feedback loop that back in. But because we aren't going through this process of consistently briefing, intending, executing and debriefing, we're really missing out on, you know, I I say this in that episode, Michael, we're missing out. We're leaving on the cutting room floor the most important parts of the drama of the movie that we're trying to make of our lives. Mm-hmm. We, I'm just telling you that we were so focused in our society on failing and succeeding, but there's another category here. I want to highlight for everyone. There's a thing called a successful fail, mm-hmm. but our current society really doesn't want us to believe in the successful fail. <clears throat> but if you buy into your failures can always be turned into successes and every fail is a chance to succeed, you're cooking with grease, man. You're now taking learnings from success and learnings from failures and pushing them forward into some kind of concrete plan for the rest of your life consistently. And ultimately, the fringe benefit of all this, which ultimately on the 48 hours prior to your race is not fringe, it's actually the primary thing you're operating in, but it seems fringe when you're doing it, is you develop self-trust. You just trust yourself. And so you're able to sit in your own juices. You're able to stew in your own juice. And you're like, okay, I got a plan. I feel my plan is good. What do I do now? I don't know if I can watch Seinfeld for a couple of days. Like, sir, good. Doesn't really matter. How do I conserve energy? Do I know? And then you can kind of come back to your attention place. Attention. Am I ready to do what I need to do? Okay, awareness space. Now you can sit in the default mode network with no problem. You can allow. This is what elite athletes, immediate elite athletes, they are literally doing fuck all 48 hours prior to their event. They are operating in default mode network incredibly well because they need to save their energy and they know it. And this, this is the best thing for them to do. They listen to podcasts or they watch videos or they do whatever, TikTok. I don't know what they do. They do other things, but they're not going through the existential problems that we're having when we're default mode networking. When we're default mode networking in that 48 hour window, we're like, we're like, I need meaning, I need meaning, I need meaning because we're so, 
We got to compensate. We got to compensate. Car blowed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh shit. (laughs) Overhydrate. How many people have ruined a race by drinking fucking two gallons of water the day before a race? Like you just flushed your entire system of every electrolyte that you're trying to use on race day. Like you're going to be shot. No wonder you cramped. (laughs) You believe, you believe in the default mode is a healthy mode before in that 48 hour. It's the least expensive cognitively. And there's a, and there's a lot of, you're, because you're going to need a lot of attention and you're going to need a lot of awareness. So don't, don't, don't expense it before when you actually. But the reason it. why we feel that the event itself is so meaningless in the lead up in those 48 hours is because we fall into default mode network, but we feel like we should be attention or awareness because that's the state of mind we're going to be on a race day. Oh, yeah. And we can't lean into it and sit in it because we don't trust ourselves. We can't trust it. I think this is what's going on. At, um, I, I'm, I mean, I'm not a cognitive science scientist, right? I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm not a cognitive scientist, but I do a lot of reading in this area. And it just seems to me to make a whole lot of sense of what the fuck's going on with people. And that's why I created this mission protocol to try to get you fit on the front end, to bring 90% mental to your training, right? So that when you get into race day, it will help. Another thing that this does really, really wonderfully, I was having a conversation with an athlete today. She's running Houston this weekend, and she's like, I'm not really sure exactly where I should be with this. I'm not sure where my fitness is. I'm not sure for how I'm feeling. I'm not sure where I'm going. But, but I'm so, because my last race that I did, she just had an accident, and she was like, all she did was show up to the race and run, and she ran a great race, and she was like, I didn't worry about anything. Nothing was going on, so I don't really want to plan before this race. I'm like, no, 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 no. You have to plan, because if you don't plan, you're toggling I didn't say this to her literally but in art since we're talking about it she's going to toggle between attention and awareness intention and awareness intention and awareness not have any skill set with it or sit in default mode network and be like fuck there's no meaning to what I'm doing I'm like no set a plan you've got a goal you want to run x how would you execute an x plan at Houston leave it alone then and just sit in the moment and say I'm just going to go enjoy this just like I did the last race I'm just going to sit in the space so this is my beautiful race concept if you do this mission protocol you're much more, much readier, have much greater capacity to handle distress and capability of executing attention and awareness effectively and then sitting in a soup of default when you need to and how you need to because you trust that the beautiful race will show up regardless. And, you know, these things, how I pull all these things together into one giant package, I'm not sure. I'm still working on that. But I do see these links, like these things are linking as sort of like useful parts of a cog of a wheel that turns. You can definitely, I think where it might end up is you can, maybe it's a little bit different for each athlete, but you figure out, you, you basically come up with a unique plan and you say, maybe yours is 72 hours. Maybe yours is 10 days, but maybe yours is, 24 hours correct and this is where the the goal here is it's not a pace plan but it's a mental plan like this is where you can reground this is where you can snap your rubber band put on the blue rubber band blue means default you know this and then on the race like put on two colored rubber bands here's yellow and you know <laughs> and then so when you get to one snap the other 100 percent myopic on that and then you can kind of come and say this is toggling between attention and awareness attention and awareness yes then you can just actually just go out there and perform a plan and see what works and see what doesn't yeah i i love that stuff man and the fringe benefit of this michael i just want to highlight 
is that we're actually able to stew in the beautiful juices of the event itself. Yeah. That wonderful episode that we did on Boston after we both came back from that experience. Right, yeah. And just recognizing that these, some of these epics, they just have a vibe. You know, Iron, I mean, when you, you, you know, the Kona, Boston, yeah. London, Tokyo, the, these events, the Dipsy, <laughs> uh, Bandera, it's happening this weekend locally. This is a huge race for those fo focus on a 25K, 50K, 100K. I've got a couple athletes going out there. This is a epic. And this weekend, they're going to get perfect weather. But if that race are happening on Tuesday, it would have been a wet 18-degree frozen slippery death trap. But because the race is on Saturday, it's going to be a smooth sailing 35, 40 degree morning with a 60 degree high with the sun out and perfect weather conditions. And it hasn't, it's rained a little bit, but everything should dry out. But you know, who's to say that running two hours slower in 18 degrees in a slippery, slippery death trap is worse <laughs> than two hours faster on per in perfect weather conditions. Yeah. Like, the idea here is that there's joy and beauty and juice in each individual experience we're doing. And this protocol, this using this way of framing your training experience, not will number one, calm your nervous system down and give you a protocol and a process and place you in a space of what I call the, the, the operating at a level of a field. So you're able to be there. Right. But more importantly, What's going on is you're developing a taste for beauty. Mm -hmm. You're developing a taste for something that's idiosyncratic, unique, and stylistically yours. In this way, I, I'd say, Michael, you've, you're working on soul making. You are making your soul. And you don't give two flying fucks if it's perfect weather conditions or horrible weather conditions. As they say come what may those those people operating at the highest level at the olympic games in the marathon they don't care what shows up on race day yeah they just want race day to show up and they're going to do their best and you know one of the whole things about the beautiful race is do your best and i'm going to say it again how fucking hard is it to do your best yeah. <laughs> gets a lot better gets a lot easier to do your best when you've practiced consistently being in the space of operating in that way. Mm -hmm. So if we want to sort of have that great starting line experience of trusting ourselves, we need to recognize that the mental component needs to be worked on over an extended window of time. And then when we get into that sort of war zone of heightened awareness and readiness to go, we need to be trust that we can sit in a more cognitively less expensive zone of scrolling on our Instagram and doing other things and watching mindless videos prior to the race so that we've got that energy ready to go when the gun goes off. And yeah, you want to tap back into your intention and tap back into your plan and all those other things, but you're really just, you're just stewing and ready. And I think what happens is people start to get this instead of dread for that experience of the gun going off. They're like, Oh, I can't wait because everything up to this point has been known. And what I'm getting ready to go into is that place where it's unknown and I operate high. I'm a high operator at the beauty level. I'm a high operator at the, 
at the aesthetic level. I am going to get the most out of this event. And the worse conditions are, or the better the conditions are, I just guarantee you I'm going to have the most unique and beautiful experience of this race that can be possibly be achieved. And man, that kind of sounds like good stuff to me. <laughs> and why expectations are just a crock of shit. Totally. <laughs> that's that's it's a big discourse on why expectations are just gonna it's just gonna mentally kind of mess you up and our culture is focused and obsessed with expectations yeah yeah for sure which is why people are so unhappy yeah <laughs> yes oh man steve that was a fun one i really i that one felt natural to me like that was that was a really really Man, we we can sometimes find some crazy topics, but boy, they they just seem to to make so much sense and they seem to hit home. So this one's, I, I agree, think that was the winner on this one in terms of what I needed to hear and uh, how how it all landed. So well, I was a winner because I got to pub my other my other podcast, which I think yeah. in the end that that particular episode, the one I worked so hard on that went out this morning. I mean, it's good shit. So it's it's go. it's good stuff. And another thing I just want to highlight is we were both a little nervous about whether or not we were going to pull this shit off virtually. Yeah. But yeah. we did okay. I like it. Yeah. I like yeah. it, but I am definitely want to come and get a cup of coffee. For, I would way rather yeah, be yeah. in your living room right now. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But sure. I will say. It's nice to know that we have a, a, a nice little, also, you know, if we ever need a guest, we know how to pipe them in. Totally. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. That's All right, good. brother, man, I, I'm just, again, so grateful for our conversations. These are the highlight of my week, and uh, I, I hope I, – well, I know this. You know, I shared this with you yesterday, and I'll just say it online because I do think it's helpful for our listener base. Um, I don't get a lot of feedback um, from, you know, people's posts or any, you know, liking or, you know, starring or commenting. And, you know, if you want to do that, that helps this podcast find other people – but Michael and I are not tracking it. We don't really know. I mean, I I watch it just to make sure that whatever we're doing seems we're not losing listeners, you know, but gaining listeners is not really a critical protocol here. But I will say that I have gotten a lot of feedback from the people I work with that the last four or five episodes are, uh, are, are have been much better. So for some reason, whatever's going on between us, we're, we're now, we've dropped our, I think we both have dropped our sort of false pretenses. I've dropped the false pretense of this needing to be some kind of uh, exposition on who I am and what I am and where I'm going. Right. Yeah. And I think you've dropped the need to be clear and resonant and totally on point that in a way that sometimes you have a tendency to feel like you need to. And what we're doing is just allowing um, this beautiful space between us to come through to highlight whatever topic we just happen to be interested in. And um, for those of you who are listening, I just want you to know you are part you are in the room and in this case a virtual room with michael and i like we're mm -hmm. we're not just talking to each other we're talking to each other through you knowing you are going to consume this right um, that's a great way of putting it steve and and i and i want to thank our listeners just for being on this journey with us and hopefully we're we are in this groove i will say from the very first episode we recorded with michael back over a year ago I thought we were in the groove. <laughs> yeah, but we also we were also toggling between. I think at one point I told you they should be fifteen minutes and they should just be bite size and we could crush that, right? Let's just do training talk and let's do let's like let's just build a 
uh, an appendix of beautiful 20 minute easy dispose and it was like okay well that's wow that is a good idea it's very sterile and then it was like well let's just be fluid and talk about whatever we want let's talk about music whatever it's like okay but that seems a little bit too they were they um, were a little too out there they don't they know, didn't it was like a little too um awareness as opposed to attention yes and now we're kind of like i think what what what's what's happened is that we've we've found substantial topics but that are allows to are, flow like you know a little bit on the side of where they do feel a little bit creative and unique and where i don't think that a lot of folks are kind of exposing these types of discourses on seemingly esoteric things where you actually have to kind of like really dive into it to not just take it at face value because of i don't know we spend most of us spend a couple hours a day on our phones and a couple more hours on our computers so i was like we kind of we kind of take what we're given (laughs) so so i mean if anything like that's where i think that we've maybe found a little bit of a stride so i like that feedback a lot yeah i think it's good and i think it's good to share with our listeners yeah um because they're also not in a vacuum like we're (laughs) we're in the real world doing real things and um these conversations are helping people be in the world in, in, in meaningful and real ways. And uh, I just want to say thank you to you. And in case, I don't think he does, but just in case he does listen, John, I just want to reach back out to you and tell you how much we love you and wish we were here in this conversation. And you'll always be in these conversations because we love you so much. You're always the, you're always the, the ghost, not that you're still here, but you're the ghost haunting these conversations. Um, and if you ever want to come back, we would just love to have you. So if you're listening at that point, you know, John might, John's kind of creepy like that. He might actually be listening to us right now. <laughs> John, he, I see. Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, I need to, uh, John's what a, just a badass, beautiful person. Nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna peel apart the, the training methodology like John. No one. <laughs> so he's got a very unique way of doing that. We need sure to, does. Sure we need does. to go back into the history of coaching for for a, for a kind of like a. You notice we haven't gone back to those fundamentals of training <laughs> oh, <laughs> since yeah, yeah. he le- <laughs> since he left. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> we kind of we we're, we're dropped it while it was hot. Left it yeah. over there like <laughs> it's a cold potato. <laughs> a All, All right, y'all. Well, thanks for listening to us. We appreciate you and um, Godspeed, man. Godspeed.